The Thrivecast is sponsored by Intuit. Intuit QuickBooks is dedicated to helping accounting professionals save time and grow their practice. With products and services like QuickBooks Online Accountant and the QuickBooks Pro Advisor program, you can truly boost your efficiencies, collaborate with clients, and play a pivotal role in fueling their success. Follow the link in the show notes to find out more. Welcome, everybody, to episode 72. I'm Jason Blummer. And I'm Greg Kite. This is episode 72. Hey, this is amazing. This is cool. We're going to answer everybody's questions, every small firm's questions about mergers and acquisitions today. No, no, we're We're not. not. We're going to raise more questions in everyone's (laughs) mind about mergers and acquisitions in the account. Before we hit record, you and I were going, we have no (laughs) clue how this works. I know. And don't you remember like 60 <laughs> seconds ago, we said, hey, let's not say that on the podcast. <laughs> right, sorry. No, listen, people, oh, we are professionals. Over. We're professionals and we're going to give you we're going to give you the guidance you need to go out and start purchasing and acquiring firms for growth. Yes. Yes. No. Everything you need, all the technical know-how <laughs> you will have after 60 minutes of listening to this. That's it's right. basically a graduate course in right. mergers and acquisitions in the accounting profession. Um, You're about so, to get yeah. your MBA. In your MBA right now. In, MBA in M&A. I know. Boom. Look at that. Boom. Boom. Mic there drops. Well, say, okay, so since we don't know – Okay, since we're going to pose a lot of questions about mergers and acquisitions for small firms, we do have the, I mean, we have the guy that knows how to do it on the yeah. show in a minute. Yeah, yeah, like reading like reading up on our guests today. This, I don't know. Have you met him before? I have not, but yeah, reading it it's, will blow sounds, you. It sounds like we're supposed to have known him. Yeah. So he, well, he's everywhere. Well, he's everywhere if you do mergers and acquisitions. <laughs> <laughs> Me and you don't know what we're talking about. Hey, so right, we right. haven't run into Alan Colton yet. <laughs> but but he's but the guy the guy's amazing. He's I mean, he it, what? It said something I read said that he's probably been part of 50% or more of the major mergers in the accounting profession that, over the last 13, 14, 15 that, years. Listen, that is ama- he he knows how to, I mean, he does the big ones, right? BDO Seedman goes and buys firms. I mean, he's doing those transactions with those guys. So it's the knowledge in any way. I want him to apply it to the the small firm, probably the smaller firms that are our listeners really need to know, is this a growth strategy? And, you know, there's a lot of Thrival members. They do start firms by buying firms. That's how they'll start. And and it's hard, you know, Mm -hmm. it's hard to start a firm from scratch too, but there are ways to do it well. And, and I think that the, I mean, I guess in my mind, the other thing I think of a lot of time with the with the mergers and acquisitions, that's like the default succession plan for mm. especially for small and sole prop yep. uh, CPA firms, where it's like, okay, I, I I've got what I'm like a lifestyle firm. I got what I'm doing. I like what I'm doing. When I'm done, I'm going to find somebody and I'm going to say, hey, you want to take all my clients because I'm going to go sip, uh, you know, margaritas in 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 Maui. For the rest of my life, because I have enough money to go to Maui. That, not that. Okay, so in uh, uh, Redondo Be- Beach, <laughs> and, and maybe golf, maybe to golf, maybe go to the yeah. Okay, to the golf, yeah, to the Alabama coast, right to the and, Alabama coast, <laughs> so, Galveston, but anyway, yeah, but, but to Galveston. Galveston. <laughs> My gosh, because nothing <laughs> nothing goes with a margarita like the smell of dead fish. Uh, so, so what? No, but here's what's happening. Uh, people are trying to leave firms and they're trying to sell them to younger people, but I don't think they're yeah. buying that anymore. And you have a cool yeah. story about yeah. how that didn't work in, for my mom, for your mom. Yeah, yeah. My, What's my, mom, that? my mom, mom was, she's a pharmacist. She's retired now. Uh, she, uh, at, in 1985, she opened her own pharmacy in Mount Lake Terrace, Washington. Go lemmings. That Come was on. our swim team. Um, and, uh, and anyways, and, and it was a, it was very similar back then in pharmacy as to what I, what I perceive in the accounting profession right now. Again, 
you you built your pharmacy, you had this business, and and when you were ready to retire or whatever, the plan hopefully you would be able to court somebody who would come in and just basically buy your business and start running it and and you know kind of the under new management yep, thing. Yep. But if that didn't happen. The second, the second option to that was you would do what's called sell your files. So you would mm. go to a, so you'd be closing down your drugstore. You'd go, you'd find somebody else because you obviously had a network with the other drugstores in the community. Right. You'd go to someone, whether it was like a, you know, a chain like a Walgreens sometimes yep. to do this, or it could just be another independent pharmacist. And you'd go there and say, "I'm getting out. Do you want to buy my files?" What that means is mm. when you close your doors, you communicate to all of your customers, going, "Hey, all of your prescriptions that you had on file." with me. They're now at Dave's drugs down the street. He's going to be able to take care of you from now on. And all your, you know, and you'd probably have like, you know, 75% of your patients that would just follow the files. And then you have 25% that was like, "Ah, I'm going to just get them at Safeway or something like that. So that's how that would work. Very similar to here. There's no reason why your customer would need to, if you sold to another business, to another firm in the accounting profession, they don't need to follow the files. Right, right, right. Because so, it, what you say, it didn't work for your mom. It did. It didn't work for my mom. Yeah, because she tried to sell her business. She was getting out right when independent pharmacy was like going, like going away. There, like it used to be, the majority of drugstores back in the eighties right. and early nineties were independent, independently run. But then at that point, that's when you started getting a drugstore in every single like uh, grocery. Store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and in a grocery store, and so people are like, oh yeah, right. I'm gonna go shop for broccoli. And I'm gonna drop off my prescription, right. and I'm gonna get some, you know, ter- some some chicken breasts and and uh, and and green onions and then I'm going to pick up my prescription. And so at that point she tried to she went to different pharmacies and was like going, "Hey, you want to buy my files?" And they're like, "Nah, yeah. we're we're okay. We're good." So she did so she so that was her I mean again, that was kind of the default succession plan. Sell your files and she walked away just with nothing because of that. I'm, you know, yeah, literally, she just had to. She shut the doors. She kept the files in, you know, for as long as she had to legally, and then shredded them and didn't get any money yeah. for selling business. Mm-hmm. Well, so, I, kind I of a think, story. I think in the small firm category, that's kind of what we're seeing, and a lot of Thrival members are. Sometimes they'll struggle if they go in and they want to take over a firm from an older sole proprietor who was mm-hmm. running that firm. Uh, sometimes they'll work for that person for a while. And you know what's really common in these small firms is the person promises to sell the firm to this younger person. Uh-huh. And they keep promising. They say, well, maybe next year. Uh-oh. Well, maybe next year. Uh-oh. And they, they just drag them along. I've, I've seen it a number of times. They'll uh-huh. drag them along. And then finally, you know, people get wise and they're like, you know what? I think I'm going to go start my own firm. Right. And probably just take your clients. <laughs> maybe, right, right, right. maybe that's not you know, how you're supposed to do it. But I think think a lot of what Alan does is he does these large firm mergers, um, right? Seven to 10 million, you know, in revenue firms, he structures all that kind of stuff. Now help me get that in perspective. Cause we were looking at that. He, some of the stuff that we, as we've been stocking him online, uh, you know, we're coming up to that. He, he kind of gives this range of seven to 10 million and another place I saw a range of five to 10 million. What, how, like get, as somebody who has, who's clueless on this, like for, to be like, let's say to be like a $10 million, I think we're talking just gross revenues for that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Okay. And then, okay. So that's just an assumption. We're both, we're going to say emphatically. Yeah. Yeah. That's gross that's revenues. That's what the article meant. Right. And so, but, but how many, I mean, how many partners are you thinking you're going to have at a firm? How many partner, how many staff are you talking to get a company oh. that's in the $10 million range? Is that, are we talking 10 partners and maybe 50 Probably. staff total Pro- for no, that? More than that. Like if you're in a 10 million firm, you've got, I mean, at that, at that range, you've got multiple offices, multiple partners, probably all over the okay, or all okay, over so a region for sure. A region, so that's a regional firm. Yeah. You're talking, ten, you're, talk, you're already talking regional. Yeah, yeah, 20, 30 partners. See, I don't, okay, gosh, yeah. I don't know. I had no idea, but you I know have no he, clue. You know what he says? Um, and and again, we're reading from an article by Alan Colton, but he's talking about the different ranges of firms, and I don't know if we have tons of listeners. In these in the- ranges, but there's right. a there's inevitably a glass ceiling that firms run into. Actually, even in our firm, we're kind of pushing through one now, which right. is really we're- just changing team size and 
Julie and I, my partner, we're moving into, you know, um, tr- trying to get help with some of the leadership and management. Right. And know? by, and by glass ceiling, you because ba- I don't, I, when I read that, I was kind of like, cause glass ceiling, I always relate that to like the, you know, kind of the gender inequality and the gender gap and the pay and, and yeah. women not getting into partnerships. But basically what we need to hear by a glass ceiling is just, you get stuck. You're yeah, like, we're at this level. We'd like to grow. And how do we, how do we break through and, and start experiencing growth again? So you're yeah. just stuck. Yeah. And so and- he's saying, if you're in seven to 10 million, you're probably stuck. And the only way to move on is leadership. Yeah, well, I guess. And, and there are various levels you get stuck. I, I think around one owner and three to four people. You, uh-huh. and if you start moving into five to six people as one owner, you you might start bumping into a glass ceiling. That's where you start feeling stuck because, and then at that point, you might need. I don't know what you. you sometimes you need another. You need a partner. But at some uh-huh. level, you become large enough to where you can't just run the thing by yourself. And so you need some kind of management or some kind of partnership. Right. So he's talking about there are levels that it's hard to break through, and seven to ten million seems to be a hard one. And right. he kind of answers the question in in that next paragraph, which is uh, partners really still do uh, a lot of the the work, um, and they don't hire right. the administrative right. team like a COO. They don't typically do that. The partners keep the COO. Right. They share a COO job, and they're not supposed to do that. If they want to break through a, a growth ceiling, right? I get, I guess, but see that. So th- that's another question. So, and I guess, kind of where he's going with this, and I'd like to get back to this, is that is that acquiring another firm is a way to break through a ceiling. But before we even get to that, I, like reading that whole thing, it's like if you you need to hire a COO because your partners shouldn't be doing that work. And I go, wait a second. I thought one of the things that we talk about all the time is that people get stuck working in their firm rather than working on their firm. And that the trick is, no, you need to back away from doing the the pick and shovel work of doing the actual, you know, ser- providing the service. And you need to get more into running your business like a business. If your partners aren't doing the, the you know, aren't in charge of operations, then what are the? Then are your partners just reviewing tax returns and reviewing well, uh, audits? What what's I'm, the? I'm, I'm guessing wh- that when you get to a certain level and you need to hire a COO and uh-huh. you make a commitment to take all of that admin work away from the partners, it, right. it, it seems like the the role you fulfill then because now you're giving up this administrative work, right? Is you do right. you do more leadership oh, work? Oh, gotcha. Like you step into visionary okay. C, CEO and right. Team, right. team related leadership right. roles. Right. Golf. Golf. Exactly. <laughs> you, Business yeah, development. I, I, what was I thinking? You're going, Golf. okay. Dude. I'm I've divested myself of doing the actual accounting work and I've divested myself of doing the admin work. So now all I have to do is sit in a comfy chair and <laughs> And, and like golf, golf from time to time. It, no, that's not quite. It, does, it doesn't really work like that. But okay. he he makes. But, but, some, le- but leadership vision, acquiring new business is that still something that you're going to be doing as a? I think that's probably that's the that's one of the hardest roles to give up in a firm is business development or sales. Yeah, that, that really is not, it, or is that it, just for you? Because you're good at that. It, well, well, it. I th- maybe for small firms, if you're man, if you're a five to ten million, you've got full marketing teams, you've got business right, development right. people. I mean, you you've got all that laid out. Probably for small firms of ten people and two mm-hmm. partners and under, mm-hmm. you're probably you, as the owner, you're, you're doing the sales and business you're development. Hustling. You're hustling to make I mean, it happen. Yeah, yeah, you're hustling. That's kind of what you're. Okay. So what you have to do, and he he makes this differentiator breaking the glass ceiling or the difference mm-hmm. between large firms and small firms he says is leadership is people acting like they're running a real business right um, and that's so i think that's the answer if you're listening to us and you want to grow then you have to really run a business which means you have to eventually stop doing those taxes yeah. and payroll and accounting you cannot do that and actually grow a firm long term right you're gonna hit. You're gonna hit a level at which you can't go beyond if you're still involved in a lot of that technical work. Right. 
Right. Okay. So let's go back to the idea of growing. So let's say whatever level your firm is at, you've hit the ceiling of growth. You want to move beyond it. So one of the options that you have, and especially, and, and this is the other thing, it'd be interesting to see what, I'm sure Alan's going to address it, is that there's a, it's, it feels like there's a frenzy. Uh, and well, he, and he even mentions it in some of the things he says, there's more sellers than buyers and buyers get to be pickier now about who they acquire because there's lots of boomers who are retiring right That's- now, right? That's kind of cool. That's kind of cool if, you if you're on that end. Yeah. If you're if you're That's not right. the guy who's That's leaving. Right. That's right. cool. Uh, but but here's the other thing. We've heard horror. Haven't we heard horror stories of people who've tried to acquire a firm mm-hmm. and it's just and and it was like a giant waste of time and money for them, right? Yeah, and and I think one thing the reason is there's a lot of work. In acquiring okay. a firm, we've kind yeah. of just absorbed a little firm recently. Actually. Oh, really? Yeah. What? Yeah, I did not know this. Okay, yeah. and and I swear, I swear, I was, ta- and I don't want to. I'm not going to because I don't remember details, so I'm not going to name name names. But I'm pretty sure there's a Thrival member that I was talking to at a deeper weekend one year who told me about how they they had acquired, or maybe that's how we started. As he he bought somebody's yeah. a, a firm, and then yeah. it was just like it was ridiculous because well, it's of- like I. Because nobody wanted to work with me. They liked the old guy, and they had a good fit with that person, well, and they didn't like me, so they all freaking bailed. Yeah, well, that, that's the comment. I think if you go buy – I mean, you can start a firm from scratch. That's got its uh-huh. pros and cons. Or you can right. go buy a small firm of somebody that's yeah. selling. That's got its pros right. and cons too. Okay, right. They both have pros and cons. One is going to give you an automatic paycheck. The other one right. may not, but I think what we don't realize is that when you buy a firm, you're buying a culture, especially if, if that firm has a yeah. team. You're buying a culture of those clients. Those clients believe something about how they've been treated, how they've been billed or priced or how mm-hmm. they've been served. They believe right. a culture of something. The team also believes it. And so you're not just stepping into a, a bunch of invoices that you get to send out. <laughs> Right. It's a whole belief system that you're going to have to think through. You're going to have to document. You're going to have to figure out what what is the belief, the prevailing belief that's driving how these people act. Because they're going to expect me to act that way. And what if yeah. I act differently? Yeah. They won't Exa- like it. Exactly. Boom. Because that's the thing. Okay. Because here's here's my own narcissism creeping out as I go. Well, <laughs> I can see if I was if I was acquiring a firm, like I like I feel like I'm and in the in the broad spectrum of accountants, I feel like I've got more of a personality than a lot of us you, do, you do. Right. You have a good and personality. So I, I like thanks, it. Thanks. Thanks, Jason. I like your personality. And so, I, so I figure, so if I was going to go acquire a firm, I'd be thinking, okay, one of the things I want to look for is I want to look, I, I want to know the guy I'm buying the firm from enough to realize that I'm a better, that I'm like, I'm funner to be with than this guy. I want to be funner than, than that guy. So that then when I start interacting with the clients, They'd be like, "Oh, this guy is—he's great. He's so personable, and he's so easy to talk to. What a wonderful, what a great step up for us. Yes, we'll pay you more a premium now for doing our. Because you're you're just a hoot, Mister Kite. I don't. And I'd be like, please call me Greg. (laughs) I don't know, but see, the problem is I don't know that clients are buying. Funness. So I know exactly, Greg. Exactly, exactly because the thing. The thing that echoes in my mind is Joe Pine saying, I don't want to talk to my accountant. Just take it, <laughs> take was, it. And years go ago, back to, he said that on the podcast. He says, I don't want to interact with you. My experience I want in the experience economy is not having to look at an accountant in the face. We should and have, I go, we oh, should have beeped that out when he said that. Cause we're like, no, we're trying to spend more time with our clients. You just said the opposite. <laughs> but I thought, but see, that's why it stuck with me. Cause I go, oh, cause there are people that that's the experience right. they're looking for. And so that, and, and that'd be, that'd be my, my luck is then I, so I'd try to acquire a firm where I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to kill this old owner in, in my, in, you know, in my relationships with my clients. I'm and then they're rock. all like, Oh, we actually hate everyone who's an accountant and we really don't want to talk to you. At all. <laughs> so like, you, you invite them to a, an open mic night, right. To get to know the right. new owner. And they're like, we're not coming. <laughs> No, you're like, please what? never contact us again unless it's about accounting. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and have one of your people contact us. Right, too. but but that's what you're saying. It's it's there's a culture, and it's going to change when the old guard leaves and the new guard comes in. 
unless well, I'm saying there's a culture that stays there. You may assume it's going to change because you're the new owner, but the clients are not automatically going to embrace and do what you want. And in fact, in this article, Alan Colton says a big mistake sellers make sellers. And he says sellers are often intimidated and don't do sufficient due diligence on the buyers. They, and you, this is something you mentioned earlier, but before we recorded, it says they should ask to see the buyer's balance sheet as well as a list of deferred comp obligations by partner. Now, maybe that's for larger um, right. purchases and things like that. But I think a lot of due diligence when you're small has to do with the culture of the people you're acquiring. Yeah. What are they like? What do they believe? Are they billed and drafted monthly or have they had have they had invoices mailed to them? Because if you do things right. totally different, it's going to shock them and you got to prepare right. them for that. Right. And that, well, okay. And, and so you have, I mean, honestly, you have some experience with that because really, you know, Blummer CPAs was your dad, dad's firm before it was your firm. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, you acquired yep. a firm when oh, you started, yeah. Yeah. but did you, you, but you, did you blow up the culture there or did you just slowly over time people were aware that this is a new, I think it was a whole new place. I think it was the secondary. So it was like the seedy underbelly of the sun that's changing things. And <laughs> look and, at this, this, this damn hippie Jason <laughs> is coming in and, <laughs> and taking. I, listen, I, I did hear for many years. We, man, we liked it the way your dad did things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it hurt my feelings at first, but you know what? Yeah. Now, none of those clients are here anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, how, okay. How long? Okay. That's a great question though. How, how long? I mean, I'm sure you don't, you don't have it, you know, calendared out to the day. You don't have like a big circle on an old calendar saying, this is the day Everybody's my gone. dad's last client <laughs> left the firm. But about how long do you think it took for that oh, like, turnover to happen? Years. Year, I know years, but are we talking two years? Or are we talking uh, seven years? Well, probably for us, it was a... Probably it was a four to five year period because I was doing multiple things at the same time, not only bringing in new clients because we had to grow because I was the second yeah. mouth that had to be fed with yeah. a yeah, salary. Yeah. So I had to grow it. So I brought in new clients and then I didn't feel the need as much to get rid of the old clients so fast. Yeah. But then we started focusing on a niche and then even some of the clients I brought in, we didn't need anymore. So it was a, right. it was a long turning point, but it is very common. We, we know Thrival members who have acquired firms and, mm -hmm. and often it, it's going to take them a few years, but they have to turn over the whole client base. Right. And, and maybe not everybody has to go away, but you have to eventually get new clients that replace those old ones that are just not ever going to be happy with the way you right. do things. Which is also just part, I mean, in my mind, that's part of the natural progression of going from a just an accounting firm to going to a well-run accounting firm is that you start off and right. you go, you know, the whole thing where it's like, you know, your onboarding process for a client is, are they, do they want you to do work for them? Right. <laughs> and if, if the right. answer is yes, you're the perfect fit for our firm. Right. But if it, and that's how you kind of have to start because you got to feed some mouths. That's right. But then as you get more established and as you, then you start going, okay, really the way to growth is to find this niche. And then you go, okay, these guys don't work anymore. So you start kind of pushing them off to, you know, referring them to your comrades who do serve those businesses better or whatever. And so, so a lot of that's just a natural progression, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, so, it just okay. happens over time because you, you come in and operate the firm the way you want to do it. Yeah. You just have to understand that when you step into another firm, you're stepping into somebody else's firm. Yeah. And you can't just fully 100% do everything you want to do because yeah. they believe something that's been, they've been trained on for, for years, however long they've yeah. been at that other firm. Yeah. They meaning the clients or they the meaning clients. your coworkers? Yeah, the clients. Okay. Well, and coworkers. There's, there's a culture okay. to this client base. There's a culture to that team too, especially if you yeah. acquire a firm that has a team. Yeah. They believe something too. And, um, and they were trained in a certain way. And, and I don't know, it's, it's hard okay. to impose a lot of your new rules on an older yeah. Culture. Right. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. You can't go in and just be like, Hey, you've been, you've, it's not a hostile takeover. Hey, here's how things are going to work now. Shut up. Sit right. down. Stay, yeah. You, yeah. Be, it ain't be like, friendly. it ain't like the, the, the be, articles you be, read in for, be friendly. <laughs> it's not like the articles you read in Forbes and you just start <laughs> cutting people and rehiring yeah. your new management team that 
It right. doesn't happen when you're a team of yeah. about five to seven people. Right. right. It's exactly. like, it's me. Okay, so here's the next thing I need to know about because there's another part of this whole mergers and acquisition thing that I that that's a little bit I, like I don't get it. And this this is actually so the firm that I used to work at, I knew one of the one of the people that was like uh, she was great. She was she was a a friend of mine. I I met her through the state society luncheons that I was going to as a student yep. and whatnot. And I found out that she and another and another so she was a manager at this firm yeah. and there was a partner at the firm and she and this guy this manager. She and this partner used to have their own firm where it was just the two of us. They got acquired by this firm that I worked at, but then they just continued to work in that firm. And I go, and so with that, I don't like, I don't get how, because I think that's where they were going with that whole due diligence. Because you're saying, do your due diligence uh, if you're, a, you know, trying to figure out what the culture is. I think the due diligence if you're a seller means, hey, you're going to acquire me and I'm going to merge into what you're doing and I'm going to continue working. I'm not, right. it's not just a payday for me, but it's an ongoing, I'm going to continue to work here. And I, and, and then I go, gosh, is that, is that really growth? Cause let's say you've got, let's say you've got an $8 million firm right. that, that needs to grow. Yeah. So they acquire a $2 million firm and then, and then they go in, but it's the same mouths to feed. So then you've got this ten million dollar firm, right. but you still have the same. And so I go, did you? Okay, yeah, you grew. Now you're a ten million instead of being an eight and a two, you're a ten. But it's not. It's not a. Right, you're not really any bigger. It's it's the old. It's this old joke because I'm I'm in I'm in Utah, right? Right. And there's and polygamy is a thing that actually is a real thing in Utah. Okay. Did you know that? I did. I did. Okay. And there's and there's a and there's this, this is and a great can, mergers and acquisitions topic it, too. It is. It is because here's the thing, there's the joke because mm. the 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 stereotype is that the that the wives in in polygamous relationships not the not the most attractive people in the world. Ooh, should we okay? be careful? And, well, no, this is, this is the joke. This okay. is the joke. It's like, it's like the polygamist man would say, yeah, I could have married a 10, but instead I married five twos. And that's the, uh, <laughs> okay. and that's, and that's the, the, do we have to, do, are we going to cut that out? I don't know. We'll, we'll, leave that, we'll leave that to our producer, we'll Jennifer producer. Blummer, who will make wow. that decision. But no, but that, but it's the same kind of thing. It, the, the reason I bring that up is it's like. The mergers and acquisitions thing is this like, have you really grown if you just, if you just have another firm glom onto what you're doing? I agree. And by the way, that's a solid polygamous joke. I'm going to stand by that. That's freaking funny. Okay. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I wonder if we need to cut it out, but anyway, I get what you're saying and no, well, it depends on how you define growth, right? So yeah, if you're right. absorbed by another firm and now y'all are no longer eight and two and now you're just ten together, is that really uh, growth or did y'all right. just? I don't. I don't, I don't think so. I don't. I don't know. It may be, but it depends on what you want. It may be that the two, you know, the two or three partners in the two million firm say, you know what, we don't want a lot of technical abilities or you know responsibilities anymore. We want to be like a COO, and maybe they would roll into a new position that is a right. personal benefit to them. Right. But I don't know. I guess I always ask people when you're doing partnership is, are you, are you better together and can you do something new together that you can't do apart? Which I guess that, I guess that must be it is they go, well, once we, once we join forces, then together we can scale new heights together. Right. So we start, so an eight and a two, we come together, we're a 10, but we know that because of maybe economies of scale, maybe right. some other, th you know, just some momentum that we'd get from that, we'd be able to, over the next few years, become an 11 or a 14 or something right. like that. And because so maybe what we're saying is revenue growth is maybe not the only reason people come together. Maybe it's because of leadership teams that they right. need to build to then go to a twenty million dollar firm or right. something. Which is also interesting, and this is something else that I that I think we that I want to talk to uh, Alan about is is just the negotiation side of stuff too, because he because oh, yeah. apparently that's that's his value in this whole thing is is as being a negotiator, and it sounds like he he's almost like maybe almost like a mediator between the buyers and the sellers because it seems like he actually does some representation for both sides but it, but but you go back to it and you go we're accountants we're a, like 
it, it wouldn't be surprising, especially when you get to firms the size that he deals with, that somebody in that firm is is like an ABV. They do business valuations. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, where's the negotiation at if you've got somebody who's like, no, I'm a professional at valuing businesses. I know exactly what your business is worth based on you know common practice in terms of business valuation. So where's the negotiation even oh, come to? Yeah. And I wonder, but I wonder if it comes to that where it's like, well, once I'm a partner to this firm, what's my salary going to be? What's my role oh, going to yeah. be? Yeah, that the, sort of stuff. Yeah, buying and selling is just extreme. I mean, it there is nothing set in stone when you're doing it. It is it can be anything you want it to be. Right, yeah, which I, mean, I don't. Any negotiate. I mean, it can be about your salary, workload, your position, your pay. I mean, right. you know which clients so we just, keep. It, it's like it can be anything. I think you do need a professional really helping you you know, figure out which side gets what and how do we, how do we come to common ground? And probably even knowing what things need to be negotiated. Cause I could see that being a need too, where you go, Oh, I wouldn't have even thought that I needed to negotiate which cubicle my three employees, you know, which cubicles in the office, my three employees would be located in. Or, I mean, I don't know, maybe that's not even a thing. I, I don't know, but I'm sure a lot, almost anything comes up. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get him on the horn. Yeah, let's let's talk to the guy who has the answers to to figure this stuff out. <laughs> so, we obviously do not have but, the answers. But it's so but it's so dang interesting. So I wanna it yeah, is. let's get him, let's get him, let's pick this guy's brain. Come All on. Right. Come on, Alan Colton. Come on, come on Alan. It. Okay, awesome. We've got Alan Colton, just you know, the premier consultant on mergers and acquisitions in the the US, I'm guessing. Greg Allen, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for being with us. Guy, thanks for having me here. You know, I know this is your 70-something podcast, and I, I love them and probably have listened to all of them. So to be on the other side of it is a is a real honor. Well, oh, geez. You're wrapping up the sixth year. You're, you're yeah. part of the, sixth, <laughs> the ending of the sixth year of our podcasting. I don't know. Maybe we'll crash and burn after this, and we'll just go down the toilet after this one, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, you better perform, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) I just hope it's because like twenty people before me didn't say no that you finally got to me. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. Well, that's the thing. We're we're honored to have you because I mean, just you know, you can't you can't look at stuff online about Alan Colton without seeing just that that you you're that you're everywhere and you're you're the you're kind of this uh, almost part almost part of the infrastructure of the business of accounting is what it feels like like you are. So thank you for carving time out of your obviously busy schedule to uh, to spend a a couple some minutes some time with us clowns. Yeah, so So, yeah, we're gonna learn stuff. Well. off, Greg. Let's let's jump yeah. into mergers and acquisitions. We got some cool stuff to talk about. Exactly, and and, and this is this is the thing. And maybe this seems like a stupid or a, a, like a, a real, yeah. It might seem like a stupid question to you, but it's the question that I have because I'm I'm not the, the sharpest tool in the shed. But but the the big question, it, it, I can't open like a, an email from accounting today without seeing that there's some new merger that's taken place, and that you know, and stuff about baby boomers leaving, and that there's all these firms that are up for sale, and all these people who are trying to you know get sell their firms. What, so the the big questions I have, the biggest ones we got, and this could take us most of the rest of the time we're with you, but why, why, why are people buying firms and why are people selling firms? Because I don't, I don't think I have a full grasp on either of those things. And then Alan, let me add to that, that if we can, our listeners are going to be two partners and 10 team members, probably in under smaller firms. Mm-hmm. So we want to know a lot of times how do mergers and acquisitions relate to that group of the profession, which I think, Alan, you would know this. That's the largest, I mean, that's a larger, very large population of our of our U.S. accounting population. So let us know what's happened with mergers and acquisitions and teach us. Excellent. So what I'll do is I'll talk a little because I've got this diarrhea of the mouth thing and I just can't stop. So <laughs> we'll what stop I'll you. do is occasional, thank you, occasional 
you know, some sips of coffee or just hit the push button on the phone to shut me up. Um, you know, let's, <laughs> let, let's start the big picture in the U.S. So let's say there's 47,000 CPA firms. You know, if you add in enrolled agents and bookkeeping and write-up, you're probably up to 100,000. But let's, let's say for 47,000, of that, 33,000 are sole practitioners, wow. give or take a little. Wow. 10,000 are sort of in that next two to three partner firm. So already you've you've covered what forty three, uh, yeah, forty three thousand of the forty seven thousand, mm. and you know when you think about it that the three hundredth largest firm in the U.S. is seven million, that tells you huh. from probably seven million to what uh, three million maybe is those other uh, four thousand or so firms. So it wow. it it's a huge universe that you're you're active with. Wow. It, it's my f- favorite group. I actually do. Uh, M&A work as well as consulting in the smaller firm space and okay. you know like what, what I always enjoy about it is it's it's uh, it's hands on I mean it's mm. a, you know you can have a meeting you can agree on some things and you can go do it it's not like you got to go through seven layers or six committees or yeah. uh, deal with the politics of geography and all that kind of stuff so it's it's a fun area the the big question I think you're asking is is why is there an M and A frenzy? And I think what I would offer up is, I think the M and A frenzy is now what I would call just normal. It's it's oh. the new normal. Huh. The firm wants to grow. They typically look at three areas. You know, we call it the triangle offense. One is traditional organic growth, and you know, as you know, that's uh, offering what you have on the shelf. It's mm-hmm. offering new things, uh, new products and services. It's industry specialization. It's uh, for some firms, bigger firms, it's investing in marketing, and for sure, investing in, in salespeople. Um, and that's sort of how we've rolled uh, for for many many years. You know, the only differentiator is some are compliance chops, yep. and others are consultative. And you know, they're in the business of helping their clients with their business and financial problems, whatever they may be. So that's one area. The second uh, in this triangle offense is lateral talent, call it free agency. There has probably been more movement from larger firm to smaller firm in the last 10 years of talent than in the last 100 years combined. I think old school thinking in the 1900s was you go to work at a place and you stay there for the rest of your life. If you're not happy, that's not that's not your problem. You just you just get the paycheck. You know, today it's a whole different world, whether we call it XYZ, millennial, or whatever. And um, so we're seeing all that kind of movement today. And it's a growth strategy because a lot of times, not always, but a good amount of time, somehow those clients' relationships and contacts come with the talent, maybe not on day one, but ultimately come over. So that's probably where midsize and larger firms have, uh, they would tell you that that is. Uh, tied for first in terms of their number one growth strategy. Mm. But it's the third one, it's M&A. And, you know, just to put it in perspective, uh, I didn't even have M&A as a service offering on our website until maybe, uh, oh, 10 to 15 years ago. Mm. Wow. It was, in those days, it was newsworthy. There'd be one a year. Wow. It was typically big. That's weird. You know, uh, yeah, they just it, it did the it was always there but it it, it was um practices in the 50,000 to 750,000 revenue range and they were sales. And these were typically retirement-minded practitioners who wanted to do the right thing for their clients and also uh, was able to monetize some level of, you know, dollars uh, for the value of the practice. Other than that, you know, you'd hear about a Price Waterhouse at a Coopers and Library, and you'd hear about a Touche Ross and a Deloitte. You'd mm-hmm. occasionally you'd hear about large local and regional firms, but today it's one a day. Yeah, sometimes two or three a day, and it's not even almost like newsworthy anymore. It's it's gone from front page <laughs> of the publications to page three, and it's a sidebar. And you because there's so many of them. <laughs> so the and the reason do you think most of those the the reason they have for doing it is because they want to grow, or is it a retirement a su- succession thing? 
for most of these? Yeah. What do you think it is? Well, I mean, you guys are good. You're nailing it. it. In the old days, which was up till about five years ago, they were all succession-based. It was a practitioner or a group of partners that built an asset. And just like their clients that they advise, they say, you know what? Um, someone could take what we do. They could, uh, if there's two partners, one of us could retire soon after if they wanted to, and the other could stay on transitioning clients for a couple of years. And, you know, if it's a $2 million practice, uh, that potentially has a worth of $2 million. So rather than just give it away, why don't we merge it in? It's the right thing to do for the clients continuation yeah. of service. It's the right thing to do for our people because they want to continue to work. Uh, now, the, the instance would be where there's an internal sale, but uh, more times than not, that for a variety of reasons, that's not happening as much. So it's, it's all good. Um, and so that was the dominant reason was succession. Well, what's happened and I think larger firms, you know, especially those firms in that $2 million to $10 million range, have done it not because of succession issues. They're now doing it because of strategic planning issues. So I would say for every two mergers, every three mergers I see, one is purely a succession play. Mm. I mean, it's, it's partners of age. Next generation are good workers, but they don't have the, the skill set to sort of financially buy the practice, take the risk, and then you know run the business. And it's not what they want to do. So one is succession. One is purely strategic. Uh, firm is hitting it out of the park, uh, but they realize maybe they're a large compliance shop. Uh, and they haven't built out the consultative uh, branch of the services, mm. or they're a one-trick pony, and 60% of their revenues comes in one industry. Mm. You know, and, and that goes to the very biggest firms in the U.S. You know, there was a, a merger a couple of years ago that's been very successful of equals. J.H. Uh, Cohn, which, is, which was a full-service firm doing $200 million with the Resnick Group, which was a $200 million firm, but... 80% of their revenue was in real estate. Mm. So you can imagine in 2008 when the real estate market's going the wrong way, oh, man. Uh, that, mm. that makes a perfect synergistic reason so that the day after that firm is now real estate and everything else. Okay. Um, let, me, let me ask a question real quick, Alan, because yeah. I, yeah. think, I think you just maybe answered something that, we were, that Jason and I were talking about before we got you on the, on the phone. This makes a lot of sense. So when you're talking about strategic reasons for a merger or an acquisition, you said something where it's like you might have a shop that all they do is comp- maybe compliance and, and there's another firm that they do more of the advisory. And when you merge those two together, then like the the compliance half of that of the new firm. So now you, you used to have just compliance, just advisory. Put them together, you got advi- compliance plus advisory. But then that's th- kind of a slam dunk that the compliance side would get all the clients that were just having advisory work done, and the advisors would now get access to all these compliance clients that the other side was doing. And then that ends up being growth for everybody because money that was going out is now staying in. Is that kind of what we're talking about for that strategy? Absolutely, but let me let me maybe just just drill that down just one more level. So, as you know, in today's world, um, compliance services are for many firms not growing. Uh, right, and if they're growing, when they you know the new joke is when you win the audit, the best the best place to finish is second. Why? Because that means you didn't finish first and have to give it away at 50% of your standard rates. Where does that play in? I mean, think of the old days of the razor and the razor blade. So compliance services to some degree, um, you know, are the, 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 uh, the razor. The consulting and advisory can be the the razor blades, which you're going to continue to sell many other things around it. So, loss right. leader with other high margin services. Gotcha. Um, and where it's gone, it's so interesting. I was speaking about this at the AICPA Engage conference they had in Vegas this week. Uh, you should want a free pair of sunglasses. <laughs> they. they, they um, so a firm is talking, and they said, you know, when we approach now growth. When we go into the company, we've got our audit person and we've got our consultant. 
And they're sort of looking at the situation. If the audit can be profitable, they'll go for it. But they realize if they go for that, it may block them from doing, because of independence issues, some consulting things. Or they'll look and say, hey, that audit is a beauty pageant. There's 12 firms bidding on it. Forget about that. Let's just go down the hall and pick up that outsourced CFO project, mm. uh, which is $200,000, versus taking the $50,000 audit that the winner is going to only be able to do it for 25000 Yeah. So there's this landscape change going on in the industry that's just enormous. So, Alan, right. let me ask you something. You said one, one thing like J.H. Cohn and Resnick, both $200 million firms could combine, and then there are $400 million firm. Is that really growth? I mean, is that… Do you define that, or is that just equals coming together to be double what they were on their own? Or, or yeah. does that lead to a different type of growth? Uh, maybe you said it's safety. It's it's like safety is what it gives them, less risk. I don't know. But is that really growth? It is, and I'll tell you, this is a this is the great debate in the industry today. You know, I've had people when, uh, you know, accounting today or inside public accounting or public accounting report post the, you know, the, the largest firms by geography or whatever the listing is. They say, well, you know, this isn't fair because some of those firms got to be bad, big because of mergers, yeah. and they really should strip out mergers. And, you know, as you know, that's almost impossible to do because the reason firms do mergers is not, not to grow, it's to grow. So, you know, you'd almost have to isolate the clients when they came in, what additional services they bought, look at billing rate increases, uh, you know, laterals that came over that brought books of business. Who's to say that's not growth? So, you know, what I've said is, you know, if we were advising our clients, uh, they're not talking about the difference between M&A growth, organic growth, new product growth. They're talking about growth. And I think the new normal in the accounting industry today is it doesn't matter how you grow as long as you're growing. But the reason J.H. Cohn, to use that as an example, and Cohn Resnick came together was they each had something to offer to their captive client base that the other firm uh, had right. expertise in that they didn't have. I so see. today, that $400 million is trading at $700 million. Uh-huh. And there's been just an enormous amount of selling the other firm's stuff uh, both in their own geography uh, and in their expanded geography. Okay, so so, so basically, you're, you're looking at like a good merger is almost like uh, like what what they call it in my MBA program, like the vertical, like a company that's that's doing vertical, where they're they're like buying their suppliers, and so so you're getting that kind of you're you're not just getting more of what you've already got. You've got some other. Uh, some other faculty that you're able to to gain the clients from both is that right? Yes, and and and, and I don't want to suggest it's only a big firm game. I mean, I right. remember working with a firm, uh, uh, Orion and HSMC. One was in Kansas City, and the other was in Omaha. They both were about two million. Uh, came together to four four million, and I quickly realized strategically they're going to get to seven or eight million together uh, with combining resources and talent and unique skills than they would individually. So this is okay. this is something that absolutely applies to your audience. This is not just something that the bigs are are doing and having success with. Okay, well let me ask you this: What about a what about somebody who's a manager? at a larger firm, and by larger, I mean, let's say they're a manager at a firm with three offices in the same state, four or five partners, but this manager wants to do things in a different way. And so they're going to they're gonna leave that firm. And their question is, do I start from scratch or do I go buy a small firm, even a, a $300,000, $400,000 firm, just to get started uh, is there a better way to do it than another, or or what reasons would would somebody leaving one firm as a manager to go start their own thing because they have this entrepreneurial bent towards running their own shop? <laughs> what's what's better, or what's the pros and cons of each? Uh, you know, great question. It, it's really the passion of the person. Uh, you know, when people approach me on that, I said, look, look, you you can. You can go leave your firm and put up a shingle. Uh, you know, the first thing we got to talk about though is technology because that's obviously the great enabler here yep. that can differentiate you. And, and you guys are, you know, fabulous and experts on that with your clients. The, the the deeper issue is what do you love to do? 
I mean, if, if you like doing compliance work and there's nothing wrong with that, then let's go buy a 1040 practice. Let's go buy, if you like, write up a bookkeeping. Let's do that if that's in your wheelhouse. If you just want to do advisory, then you don't need to buy that other one. We need to come up with a growth strategy, put a shingle up, and let's go to market. If you want to sort of have balance uh, and leverage one off the other, then maybe we should find that practice. Um, huh. Yeah, so it's it's you know it's all a lot about what you want to do. Hmm. You know, uh, we're, yeah. Wait, let me so let me make sure I, that I heard what you're saying right just now. So you're so basically you're saying if somebody's just starting out their own firm, if like compliance is a great that's a great area to just acquire something else that somebody else has got going on. But but non-compliance work, the advisory work, it's better just to just to start your own thing. Is that did I hear that right? Cuz I yeah, like no, that. That's kind of what I, I like heard. that. Yeah. 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 And that makes tons of sense to me. That's brilliant. And it's like, of course, but now, yeah. Now some people you have to, you know, the tough love, you have to give them the truth. You know, there's some that I always say have a personality for public accounting and some have a personality for private industry. Mm -hmm. So the the person has got, you know, it's like you got a face for radio broadcasting. That's right. Right. Yeah. uh, You have to make sure that they've got alignment of what they're really good at. Because the worst thing is to go spin out on your own if running a business, you know, having financial risk, having sleepless nights, if that's not how you're wired, you know, make sure you know what you're signing up for wow. uh, if you want to be in business for yourself. Um, I, I find there's a lot of people in firms that want to leave and they think that's the only option because they assume all firms are wired the way the firm that they're with is wired. So sometimes it's just a pitching change. It's, you know what, there's a really cool, innovative firm down the block. They're half the size. Go talk to them first. Let's, let's see if they can accomplish what you want to do. Um, because I will tell you, there's, you know, when you think of the word consolidators, you think of big, I will tell you that there are some incredible three, five, seven million dollar firms that are consolidating in firms that are 250,000 to 500,000 in billings. And what their message is, which is different is look, you do three things. Well, you know how to grow a business, you know, how to service clients, you know, how to grow people, everything else drives you blank, blank, crazy. Come join us. We've got the back office. We've got the technology. We're going to enable you. We're going to free you up to thrive, to do the things that you do so well. And if they can connect culturally, that may be a better fit for the person. Uh, can I digress for a second and give you a, a, just a cute two-partner uh, story? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Love Please. stories. Okay. So, so two partners call me uh, – a couple of years ago from New York City, a two-partner, $2 million firm. Uh, they're netting uh, 45%. They're each making about $450,000. Relatively young guys, uh, you know, late 30s. And they say, we need to hire you to help us find a bigger firm to merge into. And I'm like, okay, I think I'm missing something here. Cause Y'all are doing pretty well. <laughs> Yeah. You're young, you're, you're running your own business, you're your own boss, you're making great money, what am I missing? <laughs> and they said, you know, you just don't get it, you work with those big firms. He said, well, welcome to my world, let me tell you about it. He's, and he's being cute. He says, Monday morning, Monday, he says, you ever see the movie Groundhog Day? I said, yeah. He says, think Groundhog Day, because that's my life. <laughs> says, Monday morning, he says, everybody has the weekend, all my staff, to figure out what they're not happy about. So there's a line outside my door. Uh, says, but I think I got that one figured out. I just don't come in on Monday mornings anymore, and then they forget <laughs> what they're upset about. Go, okay, I got it. He says, Tuesday, the computers go down. He says, now, I'm the computer person. He says, I don't know anything about it, but I'm the best they have. So that's right. my day being unproductive, no client work, no billable time. Do you get the message? I said, yeah. He says, Wednesday's a fun day because I'm going out to pitch a client. Now, it would be a really good client for the firm, but because it's such a cool business, guess what? There's five other firms that same day that are making their same sales pitch to the client. The good news is 
client likes us and wants a proposal. The bad news is these bigger firms, you know, they have full-time marketing departments and they're going to do nine color PowerPoints and this and glossy proposals. And so now I got to spend Thursday doing proposals on something that's probably a long shot because I can't compete with these firms, maybe a little bit bigger, you know, holding their hand and giving outstanding service will only get me so far. He says, you know, Friday, I got to make payroll. I got to return all the calls from the week I haven't returned. And just to put it in my face, Saturday night, I'm at a cocktail party with, with some of my friends. They got bigger companies and they put their arm around me and they say, you know what, Joe, it's a shame you don't have a larger firm with more resources. You could then handle our work. Hmm. Monday morning started over. He <laughs> says, I'm blank, blank, miserable. He says, I don't <laughs> care how much money I make. But if you tell me there's a world where I can make a little bit, uh, you know, the same or close to and get rid of the crap, right. I'm in. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so that's, you know, some, what it comes back to is what do you love doing? What's your fix? And can that other firm free you up? And size right. doesn't matter. So a lot of times, Alan, it sounds like there is, I don't know if there's a leadership void, but if you want to run your own firm, what you're signing up for is to is becoming a leader, not necessarily to do more tax returns, but you've got to learn, do you have the capacity to lead teams, to lead strategic endeavors, to take risks? These are things that entrepreneurs can do. And so I guess if you're signing up to buy a firm, merge into a firm, whatever, you need to know if you can become the leader it takes to lead a larger firm. And it seems like, I don't know, is is there a leadership void in the accounting, the public accounting world? It's the single biggest void. You know, the, the mm. four skill sets that matter, you know, technical competence is one. I think the accounting industry has got that figured out. Yeah. Um, number two, the ability to own clients, meaning the own the relationship, not so much doing the work. Uh, some firms and some practitioners are better at it than others. Uh, the third one, and you know, now it gets to be even more slim, it's the ability to produce rain to, to bring in business. And the fourth one, which you know, from the supply and demand is the least of the four, it's the ability to lead and run a business. Because that skill set, if you think about it, gets into um, communication, risk-taking, motivating, uh, you know, all the things that most accountants, (laughs) when they got into this business, didn't sign up for. Right. So you, you're, it's either innate and you have it, we're going to sort of uncover it, or you're going to sort of learn the hard way through the school, and you know, hard school of Knox. Right. Okay. So I've, I gotta, I'm going to back us up just a, just yeah. a pinch to the story that you had about the, the, uh, the guy who is, his, his business was driving him nuts. And that's why he, he was interested in, in getting acquired. Cause we, again, we talked about that a little bit before what, and, and we just started thinking that in a, and you you mentioned in in one of the articles we found that where where you'd spoken to some folks that you, you do a lot of the negotiation between the buyer and the seller. What are some of the and 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 we were thinking there's got to be a million things yeah. that just don't even cross people's mind where it's like we need to make sure that this this one aspect gets negotiated. What are some of the things that you find that just didn't cross people's minds that should have that they need to negotiate when they're either buying or selling? Yeah, uh, wonderful question. I mean, there's the obvious ones that everybody talks about. Um, you know, we call it the three C's. What's your compensation going to be? Uh-huh. Guarantee for what period of time do we have to hold revenue to get that comp? Number two is deferred comp. I mean, how are you valuing my firm, my practice? What do I get when I retire? Is there any cash up front? And if it's not, you know, am I vested or how long is the vesting going to take and what are the yeah. payment terms? And yeah. Number three, am I joining you as an equity, a non-equity, a contract partner? And is there a capital requirement? Mm. You know, some have none and others have, you got to put capital in equal to one times your current compensation. So, uh, you know, what are we going to do with the balance sheet? Is that my money? Is it your money? Uh, all that. That's the obvious stuff that always mm-hmm. gets talked about. What doesn't get talked about is the day after uh, I'm on a, uh, uh, a CCH platform and they're on a Thompson platform and I've got to learn new tax and audit software. 
Um, Which is the worst. That's 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 the worst. (laughs) Nothing makes you feel dumber. Exactly, exactly. So so then there's, we call it the good hygiene things. Maybe the way you do billing is once a week or once a month because it's maybe just you. Well, in the new firm, you know, they're very disciplined. Uh, It's daily. Matter of fact, to get into your computer... (laughs) You've got to put time in, otherwise you're locked out. Right. Maybe they got a, you know, maybe they got a policy that WHIP is all billed out after 30 days. Maybe there's a work stoppage when AR when a client goes beyond 60 or 90 days. Uh, maybe in a little bit bigger firm, when you get a business valuation, you don't do it anymore. You give it to the person down the hall that, and that's all they do. You know, you, you yeah. leverage it to the best skill set available. Um, you know, there's a, there's a hundred and one of those, we call them the Monday morning tests. Yeah. And, 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 and you really have to talk about those to make sure you're on board. Don't say you're on board. We got to not just visualize these things. We got to really say, can I go there? And, yeah. And that's the tough part of the mergers. Mm. Well, well, Alan, we're running out of time. So, um, yeah. this has been so awesome. I guess if you want to leave us with some, you know, one one tip you would give, I mean, one thing you would tell a small practitioner or somebody that's about to buy a firm. I mean, maybe they're buying a $500,000 firm. You know, they're buying a small firm. I know they have a lot of expectations, which are sometimes called premeditated resentments. <laughs> you know, what's the what's the one thing they need to do in their due diligence to buy that firm the right way and be happy when it's over? Yeah. Trust your instincts, trust your gut. Sometimes the best deal is the one you don't do. Mm. And I can't tell you how many times they get into the ninth inning and there's something gnawing at them, but they figure they've made it this far and they'll Uh. figure that issue out after the deal. No, 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 no. There's a reason it's gnawing at you. You got to deal with it now or walk away from it for the right reasons. That's great. That's amazing. That's all right. That's and accountants suck at that. Hey, I've got one. I mean, really, we trusting. We want to see a spreadsheet, and we get convinced by that. And if we have human emotion, we go, "That must be false." That's right. So, yep. so we're yep. gonna trust the spreadsheet. <laughs> um, so I got I got one final question for you. You're you're a big sports guy, right, Alan? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. So so here's the big question: 1993 Michael Jordan versus 2016 LeBron James. Who wins in a fist fight? <laughs> I don't know about the fist fight, but I know who wins in a basketball game. It's MJ. All it's got to be. It's got to be. Well, I know. He's got to win the fist fight too. So. I don't, matter of yeah. fact, Greg, I, I know you're in Utah, so you're probably a Utah Jazz fan, if that's correct. And I, I, just saw, <laughs> I just saw the highlight when uh, Michael, one of his last games, and I realized that it was an awesome oh. foul. He sort of pushes that guy away to make the shot. Nobody ever talked about that. Right. I was I was in a mob of fans in downtown Salt Lake City watching it on a jumbotron, and like you just... <laughs> The, the life force of an entire city just got sucked away in one in one shot. That was. Uh, well, this is but, awesome, but, Alan. Thank but you. It's, well, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. You Don't you cut question? me off, Jason? Don't you cut me off? Okay. But the thing is, everybody loved Michael Jordan so much that it, on the one hand you're like going, "That's crushing." On the other hand, you go, "That was pretty cool." We can all concede. That. <laughs> that was pretty badass. So you got it, guys. All right. Yeah. Pleasure talking to you. Yeah, hope I can do it got, again. We got huge amounts of info. I hope some of our listeners, you know, gain some some knowledge on what they can do if they're actually in the middle of this process now. So, Alan, thank you so much for being with us. This has been yeah. awesome. Thank for sure. Jason. Thanks, Greg. My pleasure. Thanks. Take care. Okay, Alan. He blew our minds with some yeah. wisdom. Now we know how to go buy firms in a smart way, right? He, he just on his own answered without too much prompting answered all the questions we had from the first half. So that was awesome. Go check that dude out too. His uh, his his website's in the show notes. Um, you can did he say his his email address on? The, I don't on the know. Podcast? Maybe we should. It's, uh, it's probably the easiest. That. It, but you can find it probably if you just Google Alan Colton, you'll get his. Oh my god! The gosh. first thing that comes up is like his email address link. So I mean, the so, dude does. Like tons of mergers oh. acquisition, he does. He said he does. He he's done a thousand partner retreats. He yeah. said, uh, uh, yeah. He says four. Because can you think of forty a year? He does forty that's a all, year. 
That's basically one a week. He says he does like a thousand present or, or sorry, a hundred speeches, like like presentations <laughs> and stuff oh a year gosh. as well. And I'm like going. When do you when do you do mergers and acquisitions? <laughs> don't you have I, to do M and A too? It's like I call BS on this. You don't you don't have time for that. <laughs> Where but, do you go to the potty, Alan? I, exactly. No, but the guys. I mean, but that's the thing. This guy's obviously hugely productive, and he's got oh, yeah. tons of knowledge. And and so glad that he was here on making time oh, yeah. for us knuckleheads on this yeah. thing. So that well, was awesome. In, he's in between speaking event and a partner retreat. So he like threw us in like in the right. middle of that. And so, right. I mean, exactly. just to get him on the phone. Um, he enjoyed it though. I think he was yeah, kind of chilling. Think, so. Yeah. I, en I enjoyed it too. So, so much stuff to learn from him. Um, here's the thing we got, we, we got to get out of here. We got to bail. Thanks for listening to the end of year six end of, of year the thrive. Cast. That's right. It's crazy. This is one blowing. I went to lunch with somebody just yesterday who started uh, started at the beginning just like a few months ago and has been working their way. Yeah, and uh, just I got dude up in Salt Lake City. So it's Come cool on. if you're a new listener, if you're an old listener. Apparently, we got them both now. That's Welcome, right. and, we're, and we're glad you came. And please come back for next time. We got to say thank you to a couple people as well. Like. Right? We got Jennifer Blummer, the producer of the Thrivecast. Who else hooks us up, Greg? Aaron, Aaron Dowd, who's our audio engineer who may or may not have his work cut out for him <laughs> this year because of the stupid crap that I say. Yeah. Uh, also, guess what? If you're listening to this and you dig what we got going on on the podcast, you sh you you got to seriously think about coming and seeing us at Deeper Weekend this year. I'm already gearing up for that. That's like, what, four months away, yeah. but I'm ready to make it happen yeah. now oh yeah yeah october 25th through 27th is the seventh annual deeper weekend if you go to thrival.com and scroll down to a little orange banner you'll see the registration link and hey peoples here but if you register before june 30th hashtag dw17 oh. and you key that in it'll take 250 off the ticket before june Dang. 30th that might Get be it. only a few days after you hear this after, podcast after so. this, it's like tomorrow like so you better do it tomorrow <laughs> do so. it do it. It's going to be awesome. I heard that Greg Kite is going to be the MC oh, of is. Deeper Weekend 2017. He is. He and is. that's why I'm bringing all of my all my CDs and my sound system because I'm going to MC the hell out of this conference. You do some scratching? My name is Greg. That's okay. right. I'm Welcome. good. So you guys yeah. come and listen, if you're interested in membership and thrival, you want to be surrounded by an entrepreneurial community that can help you grow. And you want to come into our monthly mastermind groups and get CPE and community calls and all the stuff we do. You can do that. You can come to a thrival intro call where you can hear some stories of thrival members and how thrival has helped them grow. So uh, you can follow that in the show notes too to register for that call people. Do it. You got to right. check that out. Well, great. Um, Another one in the can? Yeah. Let's see. Um, my sense of smell is not too keen, but I'll smell you later at DW 2017. <laughs> That's the worst. Please have Aaron, please cut that out. Um, <laughs> that was a bad choice on okay. my part. No, we're leaving it in. That's what. That's how God. we roll. That's how we roll please, with Aaron, the Fry Aaron, Aaron, please. I'll Go. follow you on Twitter. Leave it in. <laughs> I'll be your 15th follower on Twitter. Please, Aaron. Okay, Greg, we're out of here. Thank you. We have destroyed another episode of the Thrivecast. Literally. Okay, we'll see you, everybody. Bye.